0: The Paul Leslie Hour Helping people tell their stories And now, your host, Paul Leslie Hey, it's me! Welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour On this episode, we're joined by a trumpeter John Eric Kelso This musician is a concert and recording artist He's the leader of the band The Irregulars A member of Vince Giordano's Nighthawks He's worked with many artists and it's our great pleasure to have him here. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you Paul, it's my pleasure. Well, I think most stories are best from the beginning. Tell the listeners where you're from and a little bit about what life was like growing up. Oh, okay.
1: Uh, I grew up in a city called Allen Park in Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit and uh Started playing the trumpet at age 10 I uh, I asked my parents if I could play the trumpet in the school band and my dad said oh yeah I used to play the trumpet and uh, <laughs> so he dug out his old horn and he was my first teacher and I took to it right away I was I was, couldn't wait to to get uh, adept at the trumpet around the same time I was discovering my parents old record collection they, they had uh, a swing era 78 records and some lps and stuff like that and uh unlike most kids i wasn't rebelling against that i actually loved loved their taste in music and loved their old records so i kind of got interested in jazz and trumpet at the same time at age 10 which is a bit weird considering this was the 70s <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and uh so you know and then i was lucky enough to uh, make a make friends with another another guy that was uh, my same age who was similarly interested in that music and uh, his name is Mike Karub and he's a bass player, cello player who lives still lives in Michigan and we actually formed a a jazz band while we were still in elementary school and uh, we used some ringers from the junior high band (laughs) Hmm. and uh, his dad was the junior high band instructor and he sort of helped us a little bit by steering us towards figuring out how to buy arrangements for the group and stuff like that. And then we uh, we actually got a, a steady gig when we were in junior high playing at this place called Greenfield Village, which is in Dearborn, Michigan, and that's part of the Henry Ford Museum. And it's kind of like a trip back in time park. And my buddy, my group, had the good idea to just tell them that they needed to have a traditional jazz band in their park in the gazebo there and they, it wasn't something they advertised for but he was kind of entrepreneurial in that regard and just sort of visionary and, and uh, they said hmm, that's a great idea, why don't you come in and audition for us and so uh, so we did and uh, we, uh, we ended up playing two summers there uh, six days a week, five hours a day that was a great way to get some chops and learn some songs that kind of covers a little bit of my early days i was also studying classically at the same time as trying to learn how to play jazz and i played in a group called the international youth symphony and also the michigan youth symphony and uh, junior high and then high school so i kind of had a little bit of both ends and some some real good helps from some great teachers and were encouraging me to get out there and play in as many different settings as I could.
0: Can you tell us a few of the recordings that made the biggest impression on you? Oh, sure. You,
1: are you, you're talking about in my early days like that?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: well, I, uh, my dad was his hero trumpet hero was Harry James and also Bunny Berrigan. My dad had, I was listening to some of his 78s, as I said, and uh, there was one that he had called Strictly Instrumental that I loved of Harry James, and then uh, he introduced me to Bunny Berrigan. He said, well, if you like Harry James, you're going to love Bunny Berrigan, and of course his his classic was uh, I Can't Get Started, and uh, my dad had that 78, so those are some of the early records I remember, and then... He told me about, uh, Sing Sing Sing, although he didn't have that record, so we went looking for it <laughs> in the days of record stores, and, and, uh, you know, this was before CDs, and so we, we found the, the, uh, it was, it was actually a three LP set, but they weren't together, you had to buy them separately. And I remember we found one volume, or maybe two of the three, at at the store and uh and that had sing 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 on it and that drove me crazy with excitement as a kid it was you know such hot fun music and i remember we had to order order the the third volume because i was you know obsessed i wanted to have the complete concert you know so eventually got that as well so those, those are some of the things that i remember from those earliest days oh and also uh my friend Mike Karub bought me, uh, the, the Lewis Hot Fives LP as a Christmas present. I think when I was in fifth or sixth grade, and that, that was a exciting thing too. So we were kind of discovering all these jazz greats together and, and we'd, you know, we'd call each other up and say, Hey, I got this record, you know, of Eddie Condon or Big Spiderback. You got to come over and hear this guy, you know. So it was, it was fun to have a friend who, Shared, our, shared my
0: unusual interests So it might be a difficult question but if you could pick your favorite all time trumpeter, who would it be?
1: Actually that is not a difficult question for me. It's, it's putting the rest, the, number 2 through 200 in, in some kind of order that would be dif- difficult <laughs> but number one, <laughs> number 1 for me is Louis Armstrong
0: And tell us a little bit about the impression that Louis Armstrong has made on you. What it is that you like about him so much. Oh, boy. I could go on for a long time on that
1: subject. But, uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I mean, I think early on, you know, when I was a kid and first hearing him and hearing those records, there was the, the virtuosity that grabbed me, especially since I was listening to the Hot Fives as my introduction to him really in in, while I was still in elementary school. And when you're a kid, you tend to be, you know, especially impressed by virtuosity and fireworks and stuff like that. And, uh, pun intended, he did have a song called fireworks, but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, so that, that was grabbing me. And, uh, then as I got to, got to know his playing more and, and, studied him deeper over the years i appreciated the fact that he he just had this wonderful relaxed swinging style and warmth in his playing and his singing that just that brings you into the recording so you feel like you're there with him kind of a very very personal warm approach that i really loved and he really has a recognizable sound And I I grew to appreciate him and players like him where you can identify them in, you know, two notes almost, you know, just such a such a unique and, and personal sound. And then again later than that I started to realize what his influence was and what a great influence he was on trumpet players and all jazz musicians and even even classical musicians I think to a degree. Uh, and, and I've read, read articles that agreed with this theory that, uh, his sound and vibrato and, and use of this kind of singing style through the horn apparently even, even influenced the way some orchestral and uh, soloists and, and, uh, orchestral players played. So he, you know, he, and of course he influenced singers like Bailey Holiday and so many, so many of the great singers, uh, were influenced and inspired by him as their biggest influence. Ella Fitzgerald. So he's really, you know, just that's just, like I said, that's his touching surface. But th- those are some of the things that come to mind that, that I love about him.
0: When you finished high school, was there any doubt about what you were going to pursue? Not really.
1: You know, when I was in high school, there was, I was, I started playing gigs, as I said, kind of early in junior high. And in high school, I was, you know, also keeping pretty busy. Uh, I had, I already had some gigs. I was kind of worried that maybe, and this is while I was still in high school, I, I was concerned that it would be difficult to make a, a, a really good living. As a musician and, and, you know, wondered if that was a good idea or not. Cause a lot of the, a lot of the older professional musicians that I was playing with at the time had, had a day job or had something else aside from just playing that they did to, to help them to pay the bills and support their families and stuff like that. So it was a little bit, yeah, you know, I was, I was up in the air for a while there. I thought I'd go to law school and, be a lawyer, because I have an uncle who's a lawyer, and I thought, wow, he's, he's a cool guy, and he's got a nice home and family and a Mercedes and a nice stereo system, and that might be the way to go. <laughs> but uh, he actually was one of the people that helped me to, to decide not to be a lawyer and, and not to go that route, but to be a musician, because he was kind of a, a frustrated musician himself. He plays the piano, but was never quite good enough or didn't pursue it hard enough to become a professional musician. And he, he kind of was, you know, he admired that I had that kind of talent and that he wished he did. And, and he saw that I was good enough to pursue it, you know, and, and, and make that my life's work. And and that's it is really the only thing I ever really wanted to do. And so, by the time I was out of high school i I realized that was it,
0: and you live in New York City, correct? That's right. What would you say jazz musicians in New York city's biggest challenges oh uh,
1: <laughs> collectively
0: paying the rent <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: New York is becoming such a it's becoming a harder and harder place to be able to afford afford to live in it. Uh, I don't know if that's the kind of question or kind of uh, angle you're looking at. That's one thing that comes to mind. It's 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 difficult. You know, a lot of the younger musicians are are making it work by by having roommates. You know, they'll have, they'll share apartments and stuff like that because their rents are getting ridiculous here you know not that they ever were cheap but there used to be more deals to be found if you're willing to live in a slightly less desirable neighborhood or less desirable building or something like that
0: Hmm. (laughs) when you left michigan did you go to chicago first
1: no i never lived in chicago i think a lot of people are are understandably confused if they're looking at my bio or if they know of my history because of the fact that I played with James DePogny's Chicago Jazz Band. That band, is, the name is a little misleading. It, it, it's not a Chicago-based band, although a couple of the players lived in Chicago. James DePogny is a piano player who's from the Chicago area, who's lived in Ann Arbor since probably 19... 19- 60 or something like that in Michigan. And, uh, he put together this eight piece band that plays Chicago jazz, uh, Chicago style jazz and other things related to that. Meaning, like Eddie Condon and Frank Teschmacher and, and Wild Bill Davison and, uh, you know, you know, the, that kind of style of, of jazz. And so I, I think a lot of people assume that I, I'm either from Chicago or lived there, but uh, that I think that was the thing. So I, I moved from Hamtramck, Michigan, to New York in 1989. Uh, Hamtramck is a city within the city of Detroit, and uh, I was going to Wayne State University in Detroit before I moved out here. Uh, I was 25 years old, and I got a call from Vince Giordano asking if I'd Want to come and play with the band, his band, for a week as kind of as an audition and and to see whether it was something that I'd be interested in. Oddly enough, the same month I had a call from the Dukes of Dixieland in New Orleans with the same kind of an offer. So I, within one month, I I went and played a week. In New York with Vince Giordano's Nighthawks and a week in New Orleans with the Dukes of Dixieland. And those happened to be my two favorite cities in the world that I had been to. (laughs) And, uh, I was offered both gigs. Hmm. I ended up picking the New York one. Although I, I love New Orleans and I go down there at least once a year and I have for, you know, 30 years or so.
0: Does it ever make you wonder what would have happened if you had chosen New Orleans instead? Oh, sure, all the time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's kind of funny because a a buddy of mine growing up who's still a great friend of mine named Duke Hiker is a trumpet player from Toledo. And I used to sub in his father's band, uh, Ray Hiker and the Cakewalk and Jazz Band in Toledo at a place called Tony Paco's. If you ever watched the TV show MASH, the character, uh, Klinger used to talk about being homesick for the hot dogs at Tony Pacco. <laughs> but, uh, at any rate, I'm kind of going off into tangents here, but playing in, in, in Duke Hiker's dad's band. And then Duke eventually, he, he ended up moving to New Orleans and, and, uh, and he was called before me to move to New York to join the Nighthawks, but his dad kind of answered the phone and said, "Oh no, he's he's playing in my band and he's finishing up school. You should really call John Kelsa. Uh, he's a better reader too. So, you know, so we we still joke about it today. Where maybe I might have gone to New Orleans and Duke would have gone to New York, and what would that have been like? <laughs> so what what it, what happened was we we visit each other a lot. Like I said, I I get down there once or twice a year." down to New Orleans, and I get my fix and, and get to play some gigs and have kind of a working vacation. So uh, I do wonder about it. and It is kind of, I've always thought of it as sort of a backup plan.
0: <laughs> hmm. Well, tell us about your recollections of meeting Vince Giordano, and what did you think of the band, the Nighthawks? Oh, wow. Well, I, it was kind of a trial by fire the first,
1: the first time I played with the band. Uh, he had a concert in Pennsylvania. I can't remember what town now, but, uh, and so that was the, the first time I met him and the first time I played with him. And it was, I drove from, from Detroit. And, uh, I kind of underestimated how long it would take to get there. And, uh, in the days before GPS and, you know, all these kinds of things that tell you how many minutes it will take to get someplace and all that. And so I got, I got there a, a little bit late. They had already started the soundtrack rehearsal in the afternoon. And, uh, I, you know, it's kind of frenzied and, whipping my horn out and to get ready. And, uh, he just, he was like going a mile a minute and, and he, you know, he was trying to just run through as many things as possible as quick as possible. And the band was, sounded great and he seemed super intense, which he is, but, uh, It was really like a whirlwind, you know, because he'd be like, okay, let's, you know, and, and the, the, you know, the first song I think that he pulled out had a transcribed Louis Armstrong solo in it that I was sight reading, you know, and all of the stuff I was sight reading because he didn't send me anything ahead of time to study or look at. (laughs) And then like the next song had a Red Nichols transcribed solo to read, you know, which is kind of a real gear shift there, you know. Change of change of style and just all these different uh, challenges thrown at me, and it was it was scary. And the band was just kind of plowing straight through the stuff, and they, they sounded great. And I was just I was concerned with w- of whether I was doing a good enough job or not. But it was just it was moving so fast, I didn't have too much time to worry about it. But <laughs> it was uh, it was definitely one of those. Sweat shooting out of your forehead kind of kind of moment, but as I got to know Vince, I got to understand his his uh dedication to the music, which I loved and his his uh drive and energy and and uh knowledge of the music he, and he's and he was a funny nice guy who uh put me up for my first couple of weeks that I was there in his home while I was looking for an apartment. And, uh, you know, we've been we've been friends ever since.
0: And there's quite a number of artists that you've both performed with or recorded with, everyone from jazz legends like Dick Hyman to people like Linda Ronstadt, Leon Redbone, Lee Von Helm, Wynton Marcellus, there's a lot of them. I'm wondering, who have you shared a stage with or recorded with that you were the most in awe of?
1: Hmm. That's tough. Uh, I've been very fortunate to have gotten to meet and play with a lot of my heroes. Maybe Ruby Braff, who, who I actually got to know and uh, become friends with. He's a cornet player, one of the greats. And a friend of mine introduced me to him not too long after i moved to new york he called me up and said he was going going over to ruby's apartment to hang out and would i would i want to join him <laughs> i said boy would i yeah so that was that was a lot of fun and I, I started hanging out up at ruby's place in riverdale new york in the bronx and got to know him as a friend and he he'd say oh, bring your horn next time and he'd sit down at the piano and say hey do you know this song and we'd play play together and and, uh, listen to records and he'd tell stories and it was it was thrilling for me you know you know here's a guy who was close friends with Louis armstrong and you know played with all these greats it was the the odd thing was he wasn't really playing around new york at the time because he didn't really play little Cheap gigs. He was big enough name that he would only do like concerts and festivals and recordings and things like that. So I didn't hear. I, I still never heard him play live until he called me to to play on a recording with him. <laughs> so first time I actually heard him play live was standing next to him in a recording studio, like elbow to elbow with him, <laughs> and uh, that was a thrill and, and pretty scary too. <laughs> but uh, I'd say that that was that was up there. The other one that would be similar a similar level of excitement was playing with Dizzy Gillespie. Oh and, wow! And uh, I got to play with him twice back in Detroit with the J.C. Heard Big Band. And J.C. and he were friends from way back, and J.C. was one of the great drummers. That was a thrilling thing because we they were. The idea was they were going to celebrate their 72nd birthdays together, in, in this context, they were their birthdays were right around the same time, and it was a, a kind of reuniting thing because they had played together way back, and so Dizzy was bringing his arrangements, his big band arrangements to play with us, and uh, that was that was a thrill, the the bittersweet thing of it was that J.C. ended up passing away the night before the concert, which was a surprise to everybody because he was in great shape and 72 years old and, you know, playing wonderfully just a couple nights before that, just, you know, just kind of, whatever, he just had a heart attack and that was it. We went ahead and did the concert anyway and uh I was super impressed with how Dizzy handled it as the featured star and MC whereas he, he was able to pay tribute to his old friend and, and acknowledge the sad part of losing JC Heard, who was a Detroit hero and legend, but also, you know, make people have a good time and smile and laugh and think of the good times and, and get back to being in the moment and making music and, uh, the, you know, the healing power of music. So that was a really strong and, uh, you know, indelible memory getting to play with him. And, and for, to be in a big band where Dizzy is there rehearsing his compositions and his arrangements and giving you that inside, uh, insight into his, his music was, was invaluable and exciting and thrilling too.
0: I'm intrigued about your work with Leon Redbone. Oh, okay, yeah. How much of that is an act? <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: he's he's very much like he's very much like the guy on stage, although that's it's like it's exaggerated, you know, it's like it's an exaggerated version of himself. But he's an odd guy. I mean, even you know, it's, I, I played with him for, you know, touring around for two or three years. And, uh, even off stage and away from the fans in public, he wears a hat and he wears sunglasses. And, uh, and he's, you know, curmudgeonly, uh, like his onstage character. It, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's, Kind of like he adopted this persona at some point during his life, and and uh, it's you know, and that's that's the way he is. <laughs> He's an odd
0: and funny and smart guy. I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about the Irregulars. Oh sure, we
1: we recently celebrated our tenth anniversary <laughs> as a band and as a residency on Sunday nights that we've had at the Ear Inn, which is in New York City, down on Spring Street in the Soho part of town. And uh, a friend of mine, Matt Munisteri, a guitar player, and I had been playing there once a month with his group at this place, the Ear Inn. And uh, at a certain point, he suggested that we... He suggested to the folks there at the ear end that he and I, or, well, he wanted me to be the leader, but he was kind of uh, instigating the whole thing, that we start up this Sunday regular gig, weekly gig. And uh, it was kind of inspired out of the fact that this place, the Cajun, had closed. And that was sort of the last place in Manhattan that had traditional jazz every night. At the time, like meaning, you know, Dixieland, which it's a word that many of us prefer not to use, but that's, you know, to give people an idea of what style of music. Trad jazz, you know, old, old time swing and New Orleans jazz. And so since that place closed, Matt's, Matt thought it would be a good time to start up a trad jazz or classic jazz. Gig like that once a week because people were just wondering where to go, you know, to hear that music. And so that's how we got started. And our concept was that it would be a quartet with uh, guitar, trumpet, bass, and another horn. And uh, and that Matt and I would be the two regular irregulars. (laughs) And we spell it E A R R E G G, -G 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 L A R S. And uh, that we would use different, you know, various bass players and various other horn players to mix it up and to take advantage of, you know, wonderful supply of great players and friends of ours in New York. And also just, you know, if we have musician friends visiting from other parts of the country or other parts of the world, sometimes we'll put them on as the featured guest of the week. And so we we always have great lineups and It's been a great way for me to learn about which combinations of people just click and have a certain chemistry and, you know, and developing those, those types of chemistry with different players. It's been a great way to do that, to have this weekly gig. And it's really caught on. It's, we pack the place and we have people from all over the world that come to hear us there that have heard about us or have heard, heard us via via our CDs or uh, often there's a lot of videos on YouTube of us playing that Michael Steinman and some others have put up. So there's hundreds of those. And, uh, so yeah, word, word got out and it's kind of become a destination for people who like this kind of music.
0: And you said that there are people coming from all over the world sometimes, but I'm yeah. wondering if you've noticed any kind of commonality. Among people who like traditional jazz, hmm,
1: I, I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, what, what, what do they have in common? Uh, people that like traditional jazz?
0: Yeah. Did you notice anything in particular about something that people who like this style have in common?
1: Hmm. Um. They tend to be. They tend to be kind of sensitive people and artistic-minded people and uh, people who have an appreciation for history and uh, interest in the history of of culture in the the United States or the culture of the United States. I guess those are things that come to mind.
0: I think it was one of my first, I guess you could say, In-depth exposures to Traditional types of jazz Was seeing the Eddie Davis band And Yeah, and I was Looking through, I went on a a Binge listening spree, and I listened to All of his albums a couple Weeks ago, and You recorded with him And I'm hoping you can just tell us a little bit About this man Eddie Davis
1: Oh wow He's (laughs) he's wonderful, yeah, he's a good Good friend and a wonderful player, and I've, I've learned a lot from him over the years. For those who don't know, he spells it E D D Y, Eddie. <laughs> I'm I'm very sensitive to spelling of names because every part of my name is begging to be misspelled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so used to it, but in the but it's just something that I try to be conscious of. Anyway, Eddie Davis. Uh, yeah, I met him shortly after I moved to New York. Uh, actually, Vince Giordano. Introduced me around to a lot of the the band leaders and musicians in New York, right when I moved to New York, because he he realized that as much as his band was working, I would still want to have other gigs and 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 get to get to know other musicians in New York. So he was pretty cool about that. When I mentioned the Cajun a minute ago, and that's that's really where. I got to play with Eddie an awful lot and we had we were in this weekly band uh, Stanley Washboard Kings that played Wednesdays there and uh and then Eddie had his own band on Tuesday nights for a while there and and uh at any rate he he uh he was very supportive right off the bat and and in playing with that band he was He wasn't exactly the musical director, literally, but kind of was. He would, he was, he would, uh, lead us towards certain songs and he likes to sing. He's a great singer and he, he, uh, he kept the repertoire of that band interesting and varied and would challenge us to, you know, to add off the beaten path tunes to our repertoire, which I loved because it was it was one of the things that I was really enjoying about New York was that it, it gave me a, a a reason to really dig deeper into traditional jazz as far as knowing the the repertoire and the, the different styles because I was you know I was all of a sudden I was playing with some of my heroes and people that became heroes. <laughs> So he, he's a real tunesmith he he knows a zillion tunes and he he makes an effort to really uh know the original chord changes and and he knows the words to every song it seems like and <laughs> very enthusiastic and energetic inspiring guy
0: I don't ask musicians anymore what their favorite song is <laughs> <laughs> but I would ask you this. Maybe tell us a song that, when you see it's coming up in a set list, or somebody in a band that you're playing with calls it out, a song that you especially, you're especially excited by. Hmm. Well, that kind of
1: changes week to week and <laughs> month to month, and you know you get sometimes there are songs that I'm that are new to me that I'm or, or that I've. Finally gotten around to learning, or <laughs> that sometimes that's that would bring out those kind of feelings for me. Songs that used to be difficult for me that I figured out how to play them better, and so that now they're finally fun instead of not being so much fun. Uh, so there are songs like that. I guess, I mean, one one classic that I love is Stardust. That just is a song that I always grabs me and, and uh it's I enjoy playing it and I love hearing it. In in recent years a song that I really really gotten to love love to play is called uh Thanks a million and uh that that was it's a little bit of an off the beaten path song but Louis Armstrong kinda of put it on the map and uh that certainly fits into that category of songs that you're talking about where just, I look forward to to playing it and uh, I feel a connection with it.
0: With all the things that you've done, is there any dream on the horizon or any project, anything really, that you're looking forward to or you hope one day you'll get to? Hmm. There's a lot. (laughs) Um, I have some
1: ideas that have been percolating for some recordings that I'd like to do. John Allred is a, trom- a trombone player, friend of mine, who's you know easily one of the best in the world, and uh, he's uh, one of our favorites for the Irregulars. And I I haven't really recorded with him like where it was just a small band featuring me and him, and that's that's kind of a goal. There's a young Reed player here that moved here from Canada. Evan Arntzen, uh moved to New York not that many years ago, and you know, just in recent years, and he's now playing lead lead alto in the Nighthawks. He's a great clarinet player and tenor player, and uh, he and I have have uh, formed a good rapport musically, and uh, he's another one that I'm hoping to do an album with. We've been talking about that. So these are some of the things that come to mind that I've I've been thinking about and hoping to put into action.
0: (laughs) What is the best thing about being John Eric Kelso? (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, Well,
1: I, I, I happen to be lucky enough to be married to this wonderful woman named Jackie Kelso, uh, <laughs> that's, that's right up there. That's, that's a pretty great thing. Lucky guy. I, I'd say I feel very lucky and fortunate and happy that I've been able to always just do what I always dreamed of doing. I've, I've never really had another job aside from playing music and that's what I always aspired to do and so that's a pretty, pretty great thing that I'm thankful about.
0: I'll end the interview with this question. Very open-ended. Okay. For anyone listening, we just don't know who we will reach or where anymore, given the the current way communication works. So for anyone listening, what would you say to them?
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, I would like to see people... Introduce music to their, their children and, and children in their lives, uh, whether they're a teacher or a parent or an uncle uh, or whatever. Uh, I, I think we're lacking a, a way of teaching music appreciation as much as we used to. And I'd like to see See uh, kids grow up understanding and appreciating music a little bit more than they have been in recent times. Even uh, schools, a lot of schools that used to have band programs don't anymore. Or you know, and it's not just schools in poorer neighborhoods. I've played concerts in schools for rich kids and they didn't have a band. I thought that was strange. Hmm. I'm thankful that I grew up in an area that had had band in junior high and elementary school, and high school and all these kind of things and also just vocal classes when I was in elementary school where it was just choir kind of thing and, and, uh, and I had teachers and parents and siblings that uh, introduced me to all kinds of music and gave me an appreciation for all kinds of music and uh, I think, you know, I'd like to see that kids are more exposed to jazz and other any kind of good music, you know, um, cause they're just not necessarily getting exposed to it. And how can, how can somebody grow up loving jazz if they don't even know what it is or if the only thing they've heard is, is what they saw on, on, uh, you know, some talk show or or something or, you know, (laughs) and I, I won't get mean and say, names of people that I'm not as excited about, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> I you know, can only guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, you know, like, you know, some people have a very limited knowledge of what jazz is, and it might not even be what you or I would consider to be jazz. So I think it's very important to, to kind of uh, find ways to just just introduce music into the lives of kids so that they're they're aware of it and they have an appreciation for it.
0: Well spoken, <laughs>
1: thank you. Well, I've been one cup of coffee so far, so I was hoping I'd be, uh, you know, would be able to put together a sentence. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I want all the listeners to check out your website. It's kelsojazz.com, and that's Kelso with two L's, K E L L S O. J-A-Z-Z dot com. That's right. And thank you very much for making the time to do this. Thank you for for spending time with us. Well, thank you
1: so much for your patience. I know it took a while for us to get our schedules together, but uh, I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to work it out. It's, it's a delight talking with you, Paul.
0: My pleasure. All right, sir. Well, until next time. All right.
1: I, ho- I hope to get together sometime and... and you know, share a sandwich with you or something. <laughs> that,
0: that'd be great. I need to get I need to get back to New York.
1: <laughs> yeah, please do. Alright, sir. Well I'm honored and, and delighted that you, you chose to include me in this series.
0: Oh my pleasure to have you. Thank you. Alright, be well. You too. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaullesley.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time.